Today's reading is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 to chapter 2, verses 5. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labour, struggling with all his energy which so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, good morning, St. Thomas. I'm going to uh, pray as I begin. Dear Father, please uh, let your word be planted deep within us that we might know Christ, the hope of glory within. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, this week I must admit to kind of struggling with this passage because it, it has such a breadth within it. So many different words are kind of used over and again and uh, I'd love to explore them all and so it was very hard to work out exactly where uh, this sermon would be going. But what I'm going to focus on is, uh, firstly, what does Paul mean when he states, I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions. And secondly, maturity in Christ. This is what Paul strenuously works for. What does maturity look like? And thirdly, the mystery of Christ in us. Okay, so first, what does Paul mean? Well, let's read uh, verse 24. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now, knowing something about Paul's theology, we might expect Paul to write something more like this. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, for the sake of Christ's body, which is the church. How is it that Paul, who is just so focused on Christ, on our redemption uh, in Christ, how could uh, he speak of filling up in his flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions? It seems so antithetical to everything that Paul says. Well, of the commentaries I've read, no one thinks Paul is saying that Christ's death is lacking in regards to its redemptive purpose. 
Only Jesus can provide purification for sins. So what then is lacking? Well, I came across a very helpful answer to this uh, from the scholar F.F. Bruce. In his commentary, Bruce notes, this remarkable statement of Paul's can best be understood if we bear in mind the oscillation in Hebrew thought between individual and corporate personality. What does he mean by that? Well, Bruce provides a really uh, helpful example of this. He goes to a passage in Isaiah, one of the famous servant songs. Um, these songs within Isaiah, they've been designated uh, servant songs. They've been kind of seen as a, an, almost like a genre within, its, within the book. And uh, these particular passages are attributed to be speaking directly about Christ. A famous example of this comes from Acts chapter 8, where Philip comes across an Ethiopian eunuch. And this Ethiopian is reading one of the servant songs from the passage of Isaiah. And, um, and you know, Philip asks him, what, what are you reading there? And, and uh, the eunuch responds and he, and he asks a question. He says, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about himself? Or someone else. And then Philip began with that very passage from Isaiah and told him the good news of Jesus. So the servant songs are speaking about an individual, Jesus. But one of the songs, the servant is spoken as a corporate entity, Israel, or what we call the Israel of God. Isaiah 49, 3 says this, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. Now, as you read Isaiah, most often what you read about Israel is of Israel's failure, their disobedience. That's why they're going into exile. Whereas the servant is very different. The servant of the servant songs is Israel as Israel should be. Uh, those of you who like Lord of the Rings may remember uh, in the Two Towers, Gandalf comes back, the great uh, wizard Gandalf. And, but when he comes back, he's no longer Gandalf the Grey, he's now a white wizard. And his friends say to him, we thought you were Saruman, the white wizard who is now their enemy. And Gandalf responds by saying, indeed, I am Saruman. One might almost say Saruman as he should have been. And this is kind of what's going on in Isaiah. The servant is Israel as Israel should have been. The true servant of God. The chosen people has been reduced down to the chosen one, Jesus Christ. But the really amazing thing that happens after the death and resurrection, there is this opening again. Um, Bruce writes this, the servant's identity, which has narrowed in scope until it was concentrated on our Lord alone, has since his exaltation broadened out and become corporate in his people. Now, what's Bruce talking about here? Well, if you look at this picture, you will see a shape which represents the chosen people of Israel. 
And we see how it kind of narrows down to the cross, which I use here to represent Christ. Christ is the true Israel, Israel as Israel should have been. But subsequent to the death and resurrection, those who are counted as Israel, as God's people, it widens out again and includes Gentiles. It's not just a chosen race, but a chosen people. So how does this relate to Paul saying, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions? Well, in Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas are preaching in a synagogue in Pisidian Antioch. And when the Jews uh, of that place reject Paul and Barnabas and reject the message, Paul and Barnabas respond by saying, we had to speak the word of God to you first since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. We now turn to the Gentiles for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. They quote from Isaiah 49.6, the servant song. Now we know that the apostles understood that these songs within Isaiah were speaking about Jesus. And yet Paul and Barnabas apply it to themselves when they say, the Lord has commanded us, I have made you a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, Bruce makes a really insightful point. The servant's mission of enlightenment to the nations is to be carried on by the representatives of Christ in fulfillment of that ministry. They are exposed to suffering uh, for Christ's sakes, and these sufferings are their share in the afflictions of Christ. Okay, second point, maturity in Christ, what Paul strenuously worked for. Verse 28, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Uh, the word translated uh, mature there is teleos. It, it's translated, look, in a number of ways. It, as an adjective, it carries the meaning of perfect, maturity, fully grown, adult, initiate. Uh, perhaps we could even think of graduate, fully developed. Uh, the word always has this kind of end result in mind. And so Paul is strenuously working so that he might present everyone fully mature in Christ. Uh, so it's easy to think that Paul uh, simply has the end in mind, you know, when Christ returns, that's when Paul will have his chance to present everyone who he has ministered to as mature in Christ. But he uses the same word also in Philippians, where it is clear that Paul views maturity as something that is attainable um, before Christ returns. In Philippians 3, Paul speaks of forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, pressing on towards the goal to win the prize which God has called him heavenward in Christ Jesus. So he states all of this and then he says, all of us then who are mature to Laos should take such a view of things. 
It's the same word used for mature in our current passage. Now, Paul clearly has in his mind that some level of maturity in Christ is attainable in this life. Of course, he wants to present everyone mature in Christ when Christ returns, but he's also working very hard to see everyone mature in Christ now. Well, one final point on maturity. The commentator Douglas Moo isn't really satisfied with the words of mature or perfect, which uh, the words typically used to translate to laos. He states, neither quite captures the sense of the word. Perfect is too strong. Mature is too weak. Teleos connotes the quality of being so wholehearted in one's devotion to the Lord that one can be said to be blameless in conduct. As I was uh, thinking during this week, I was wondering, do we obtain maturity in Christ in this life or when Christ returns? Well, it should uh, seem obvious. The answer is yes. We are to seek to live mature lives in Christ now, but of course, perfection will only be attained when Christ returns. Another thing I thought about was, does maturity somehow kind of fluctuate? You know, why is it we can look back on our discipleship and recall days where we were perhaps more devoted to God, more faithful, more prayerful? Do we somehow lose maturity as uh, a maturity that we had previously attained? Well, I was reminded this week of a theory I'd once heard. Uh, I don't know the author of this theory, or even if it is uh, a documented theory. The theory is about grief as we might experience it. What people often believe is that you get over grief, you know, or um, that time heals these kind of psychological wounds. But I heard a better explanation for it, which uh, I picture like this. Imagine your life, uh, your existence, your experiences uh, pictured in this circle. Now, if you suffer an experience that causes tremendous grief, it might feel that your life has been swallowed up in grief. Grief that you can't get away from. But as life goes on, you have more experiences, your life grows. The grief is still there, but your life has grown. And the grief which you felt so all pervasive has been diminished somewhat by your life expanding. Uh, the grief is now just part of the whole. I wonder whether Christian maturity is like this. You become a Christian and your faith and the experience of hope and love seem all pervasive. Every aspect of your life is full with Christ. But as life goes on, is it possible that your faith has remained where it was? It hasn't grown. And so I think it is possible to reach a level of maturity in Christ comparable to your age and your experiences. You know, you might be a mature Christian at 15, but by the time you're 25, 
you might be an immature Christian because your faith hasn't grown and kept up, as it were, with you. You're not learning from Christ, finding in him, as Paul would put it, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Rather, let us then seek after him to get to know Jesus in greater ways so that we, we are maturing as we also grow in this life. In the Chronicles of Narnia, the, the book Prince Caspian, the children, the Pevenses, I think they're called, are, are called back into Narnia. And Lucy, the, the youngest girl, is desperately looking for Aslan. She's seen him off in the distance, but finally she gets to be with him and meet him. And uh, she says, Aslan, you're bigger. And Aslan responds, that's because you're older, little one. And Lucy says, not because you've grown. Uh, and uh, Aslan responds, no, but every year that you grow, you will find me bigger. And that is how it should be. As we get older, our understanding of the grace that is given us in Christ is to grow too. Well, I'm really looking forward to next week to hear from Kathy Altman because uh, she'll be speaking about living our lives in Christ, being rooted in him, growing and building up our lives through Christ. And that's what we, that's our aim. That's what we want to be doing. Well, as I was uh, preparing for the sermon this week and I was looking over the, the text, I noted that I had made a journal entry and referenced Colossians 1.27. The journal entry comes from um, late in 2015, and it's about the mystery of Christ within. I wrote, All righteousness that I have seen in me comes from him. Jesus lives in me. It is indeed a mystery. It is a pleasant and helpful thought to know Christ within and thus to depend upon him. I guess what this means is I confess up to my dullness to God, my weariness in prayer. I need not feel condemned for these because within me is Christ. And what I was reflecting on there is it's kind of like how what I referenced before Jesus becomes the true Israel, the way Israel should always be. Well, Christ within me becomes the real John that I should be. So even though I might experience dullness spiritually, I know within me there is Christ, that new part of me which is responsive to God, which wants to pray, which reads God's word and learns from it. And it's that aspect of my life that I want to see growing. As uh, John the Baptist would say, he must increase and I must decrease. Well, I hope that uh, you are enthused about looking to Christ and growing in your knowledge of him. May that be our prayer. Lord Jesus, cause me to know you more and more within me that I might live my life through you. Amen.